see everybody here. We're having a good time. Uh, yes, my friends at the front row. Can we just give them a hand clap for that? Or a little snap you feel like doing right now. My name is, my name is Joe. I'm the pastor. Vanessa's going to lead us in worship, so if you all would stand with us, please. Uh, we're going to sing some songs of Jesus. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, you can sit down and be cool. Drink coffee and do whatever you like to do to feel comfortable. But this is our time just to love on Jesus, and that's what we're going to do. I want to welcome you to do the words will be up here. And uh, this is a new setup for us because normally we're in the big one up there. But I think this will be nice and cool for us today with the size problem that we uh, have. Yeah, so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Lord, I just ask you to bless us, God, from the beginning to the end. Let the worship be sweet to your, your ears, God. Let it encourage us as well. Let the message touch our heart, the fellowship and prayer. Help it, uh, let it help us draw near to you and to each other. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Let's uh, have a good time singing some songs.
And I just want to encourage you guys, keep coming down and keep inviting your friends. It's really cool to have you guys here tonight. So thank you so much for coming. We're Metro Praise. Uh, something that you always know about us is that we love God and we love people. So everybody say, love God. Awesome. And look at your neighbor and say, love people like you. And look at your other neighbor and say, I love you more. I love you more. Amen. We just want you to love God, love people. Uh, Metro Branch was started in my wife and I's living room, uh, very similar to this, about seven years ago. Uh, and now our campus on Irving Park is doing quite well, having services there Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. But when we came to Wicker Park, we really wanted to get to love the people here. And I'm so glad that I came. And I'm glad that you guys are learning to love each other. And this is how it starts, guys. This is exactly how it starts. Some people said to me, they said, Joe, you know, maybe you can bring some more people over from the other campus here because we have, you know, 200 plus over there. And I said, you know what, that's not going to help this campus. What, what this campus needs is to see what it's like to start with a small group of people and grow it into a big group of people. So if you guys can take the ownership of that. We, we came here as a team to love Wicker Park. We don't want to try to transplant what happened in Irving Park to Wicker Park. We want God to do something fresh and beautiful here. So I hope that you guys continue to keep coming. Know that we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus asked the most important thing to do. And then we've got a strategy. Get everybody go, strategy. Amen. We have a strategy that you can become a disciple because that's what defines Metro Praise. It's the heart of a disciple. So we want everybody to connect to the cross. And when you get connected to the cross in this church, we want you to go through our discipleship book that this real awesome, good-looking, righteous, anointed author, this guy wrote, and I really you know this guy, gives autograph his book, awesome. Uh, but uh, we want you to connect and get discipled and get trained up, and the best way to do that is at the life groups, and I've been hearing that basically almost everybody here is showing up now to the life group Sunday, and I cannot tell you how much of a success that is to, to me as a church planner, you know, because this is what we call starting a new church, church planning, because to me, if we build a church on disciples, disciples will continue to multiply and increase. Our lives will change, and as your lives are changing, the community will change. So I would encourage everybody to pick up one of these books. I'm giving them out for free right now to this new campus. So just if you want our book and you want to get with Chris or Vanessa, or guys with Chris, uh, ladies with Vanessa, Chris, would you raise your hand? He's in the back working the camera. We webcast this. We recorded all of our messages for free online. But a kid with Chris or Vanessa, pick up the book, it's free. And then what's cool is when you get uh, uh, connected, and some of you guys want to start graduating from this class right here, seven lessons, when, when we get uh, done with this, we're going to start our mentorship phase. Can everybody say mentorship? Mentorship. I'm going to start it right here. I'll get permission so we can meet here at 5 o'clock, and we'll start doing it right here. And this is about a year-long discipleship program. And I don't want you guys to get intimidated by it. That's why I want to let you know right now. Uh, what we're doing. And the way I look at it, it's like, uh, I hear, you know, Jennifer and you guys are handing out flyers and going out sharing the word. And, and so often people ask me, they say, uh, you know, how do you get your members to evangelize? Because, you know, we have evangelism nine times a week. Over the other, you know, people say, how do you get your members to do this? Pastors ask me. I say, because they've never known anything different. The moment they came to our church, that's what we did. That's what, so that's what they do. You know, because I heard about the, you, you know, Corinna, you've seen, um, some of the girls out in front last week were like, hey, you want to help? And you start helping, and there it is. Start handing out waters, hot chocolate as it gets colder. Well, to me, it's the same thing with discipleship. 
you know, over 80% of our church is involved in discipleship. That means more people go to our life groups and to our discipleship programs than don't. And, and once again, the pastors ask me this all the time. They say, how do you get that, you know, with the crowds and people? I say, you know what, because we start like this. And, and they don't get intimidated by it. And they understand that this is how they grow in their faith. Because when Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to just make Sunday morning or Tuesday night attendees. Jesus came to make disciples. Everybody say disciples. disciples. Amen. So to me, we're doing great right now. We have this room, and we commit to the process. We can begin to grow and be disciples. Jesus started with 12. That 12 lost one. Judas hung himself, okay, before, before God, but it was replaced by Paul. That's what I believe. Matthew was the one voted in, but I believe Paul was the one chosen. And do you know that within 300 years, the known Roman Empire had been won to Christianity? And do you know that today, right now, Christianity grows eight times faster than the rate of growth. That means every time a baby is born, eight more are born again. Jesus is the most popular name. The Bible is the most read book. And the nations that are seeing the most increase right now are nations that have tried to reject and turn their back on God. Like China is seeing a tremendous revival. We have some Chinese believers in our church, from the underground church. Over 30 million believers in China alone. Why am I saying all of that? Jesus said, go and make disciples. It works. And so, guys, I want to ask you to connect to the vision. Come uh, to the life group. Start with the one-on-one. Get mentored in this, and we'll start this process, and then we'll send you out. Everybody go, send. send. It's like, you know, Street Fighter. You know, and then we'll send you out to do some great things for God. And right now, we do Wicker Park Saturday Night Evangelism on uh, Damon and uh, North and uh, North and Milwaukee, no, North and Damon. Uh, yeah. North and Damon, thank you. We go out there Saturdays. Uh, Wicker, uh, uh, Ohio Park, West Side, we go out there on Saturdays. We have a youth ministry on Friday, reaching out to three different high schools. And we also, also have after school programs and tutoring. All of this is because people have said, you know what, I want to love God. I want to love my neighbor. I want to get disciples and change the world. And we believe if we do this, our goal is 100,000 disciples here in Chicago with 50 churches. So we got 48 more to go, y'all. Yeah, and right. 500 around the world. And you know how many right now churches we have around the world that have translated our books and are using and calling themselves Metro Praise, sharing the same vision? 200 churches around the world in four different nations. And that is something you can be proud of today because God mm -hmm. is using you to do that. Every time you give you support mission, you're helping those 200 churches in Pakistan, Nepal, India, and Nigeria. Can you guys say amen for that? Amen. amen. So we just want you to get a part of the mission, join a life group, and then right now what we're doing is this cool series right here. And I just want our ushers to kind of come around and just give you a little stack of these right now, uh, our flyers. We just want you to invite your friends to this because we think this is pretty important. It's uh, Discover the Meaning of Life series. How many want to discover the meaning of life, right? Is that why we're here? Do you guys want to learn about this? Invite your friends uh, the next couple of weeks because today we're going to talk about why am I here, but next week we're going to talk about something really important, which is where do I go when I die? How many think that's pretty important? No, if there's not a heaven or hell, uh, you know, nobody has to worry about anything. This is called Pascal's wager. If there's not a heaven or hell, then I live a good life as a Christian. But hello, if there is a heaven and hell, then a lot of people are in trouble. So what do we have to lose? That's what Pascal said. If you want to place your bet on not being prepared for afterlife, or would you rather place your bet on being prepared? That was his wager. It's called Pascal's wager. And he said, listen, if you're right, I, I have come to no harm. But, uh, you know, the, the, the atheists or the unbelievers, you're right. We don't lose. We're okay. We had a good life. You know? We turn to dust. We don't know any better. But hey, if the Christian is right, the Bible is right, how many people do we know that we're in trouble? It's not because Jesus doesn't love them, right? 
Bible says he provided the way of salvation. So it's our job to invite them here so they can hear. So next week is going to be, where do I go when I die? And then the week after that, or where are my keys? Now, this is going to be really cool. So I want you guys to be here. It's going to tie all in, and it's going to be lots of fun. Okay, so just do me a favor. Hand these out. Put them in your neighbor's doors. Uh, you know, you can't put them in mailboxes, but you can, you know, put them on uh, cars or whatever, or just hand them out. Just let people know. This is what we're going to do. You can blow up Facebook as well. We're on Facebook. Metro Facebook Park is there. We have our own page. You guys want to help support us. So that's really cool. And then this is how we uh, support the ministry. It's through tithes and offerings, and that's how we pay the bills. Uh, next week, I'm going to share with you guys how we've been doing. And it's been tough because, you know, this place is $350 a week. That's what it costs. And uh, we're only bringing about 300 a month. So we need to offset some things. And the way the Bible says for us to do this, and what I've always done, we don't do fundraisers, we don't uh, sell cookies in the back. We believe that if you're a committed Christian, that everybody should give a tithe, 10%. My mom taught me this as a child. Everybody else grew up in the church, but I did. And, uh, you know, my mom would give me a lot of She would say, Joe, here's your dollar. How much do you give Jesus? And I was like, I give Jesus a dime, you know, so I'll give a little dime to Jesus. And I always, you know, grew up knowing that. And when I gave my heart back to the Lord at 18 years old, I was uh, one of the biggest testimonies my mom saw uh, that I got saved, that I got really saved, was I got a job, okay? Because between 15 to 18, I was a drug dealer, gambling, high school dropout, arrested eight times, had been in and out of uh, 30 jobs. I counted 30 jobs. I count them in categories, by the way. I did multiple landscaping jobs, multiple telemarketing jobs, I guess. That would come natural to me. Uh, multiple pizza delivery jobs, okay? And multiple uh, construction, painting, you know, uh, handyman jobs. Added them all up, 30 jobs. Well, when I got saved, I said, you know what, I gotta do something. My mom didn't even have to tell me. I went out and got a job. And I was happy with his payday, because this time it wasn't selling drugs, it wasn't illegal activity. But you know what I realized when that offering came around my first Sunday? Is I was happy with his gift day. Because now I could give something tangible back to the Lord, back to the church that was helping me. And actually, I got so excited about this, I went to my pastor and I said, you know, I used to run up and down these neighborhoods in, in our town, in the inner city, was born in Indiana. And I said, uh, can I take some money, my own money, go to the food bank, buy some food and give it out and ask some of the young people, I was 18 years old, some of the young people to do this. He said, sure, go for it. The next week, I took $50, two friends, started with food. Uh, we went to the food bank, bought it by the pound. At that time, it was 10, uh, 10 cents a pound. So we bought about 500 pounds of food. Uh, I filled up my whole entire car. We didn't know what we were doing. And we just started knocking on doors. And the first place we went, because we uh, uh, weren't very familiar with the inner city, it's all the same to me when it was dark out. So I started knocking on doors. And I said, hey, can I give you some groceries? I'm so happy to do this. And these were kind of like the hipsters, you know? They were like, hey, we're okay. We don't need any groceries. And I kind of felt dumb. I was like, please sell drugs around here. I guess, no, I'm okay. So I went and knocked on another door. They said, no, we're okay. And finally I started getting discouraged. And then somebody that I knocked on the door, you know what they said? They said, there are some housing projects right over here. Now, even when I was doing drugs, I didn't go to the housing projects, you know what I mean? It's like, I knew better than to go to the housing projects. This white boy knows better to keep alive. You know, that's called self-preservation. And so man, I, I said, okay, well, let's do it. So me and my two friends, we went up in there. I changed my life. Changed my life. Knocked on doors. My children that just weren't clothed because of things going on in the family. My parents on drugs. And she started giving the groceries. By the time, because I found my calling there, and uh, I ended up going to New Orleans working in nine different housing projects with over a thousand people a week. That's why I did in Bible College. 
But, but that summer before I left, there was about half a dozen of us, and we doubled to about six. And we all put our money together, and any given week, it was about $200, multiple thousands of pounds of food going to that inner city. So that was my story. And I, I want you guys to love things like that, because this can be your story. Because if you begin to give that tithe here, you can say, and I'm keeping the doors open here so we all don't just have like me at Starbucks like next month, you know, because that seriously will probably happen. And so like we're going to help out and, and we're going to support missions. And when you circle that on our envelope, you circle missions, that goes to those four different apostles that I have over those nations. I meet with them every Thursday. Right now, Pakistan, just to tell you a story, uh, pa Pastor Edward Kazon is on my Facebook, you can see him. Uh, they seized his funds in his bank, and he was threatened by terrorists the last uh, two weeks ago. Uh, they took his money, and they threatened his life. And, and this is true. I saw the letter. Well, I don't read Arabic, but they actually have a letter to the biggest terrorist organizations. A letter that they blew my mind. Um, <laughs> and it looked a little cold, like frill on it, too. It's like, really? So it's serious stuff, but he has a letter. And this is not the only time it's happened. My brother, uh, you guys keep up with me on, on Facebook, Pastor Madhav. And, and Nepal was just threatened by the mafia, if you remember that. There's a uh, kind of like a Japanese mafia out there. And they said, because uh, it's illegal in Nepal to have churches. They said, we know you're meeting here. If you don't pay us money, we're going to kill you. And this is what goes on overseas. I've been to India. You can see the videos I played three different times. I've been to Nepal. You can be a part of this. And we're just asking you to do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that givers, uh, God, are here to help and build this mission. Lord, you said you love a cheerful giver. We want to give out of gratitude, out of the attitude of gratitude today, God. Just saying thank you. You've done so much for us, Lord. And the way we, we show that thanks is by giving it back to you in these small ways. And, and Lord, I just pray you prosper your people here and increase their jobs. And I know it's hard. Who has extra money laying around? Nobody, Lord. So, Lord, I pray you, you show them that it's worth it. That you bless them and provide for them. And, Lord, specifically, I also just pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Even this Sunday, as I was talking to one of our sisters from China, and she was just sharing all the persecution that goes on around the world. Lord, we're, we're playing just a small part of this with our 200 churches that you've asked us to take care of. Lord, bless this mission, Lord. Bless what we give to them and let it multiply, God, and let it change lives in those communities. Pakistan, Nigeria, India, Father and Nepal. And Lord, use us to do it, God. We want to have significance in this world. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Can we just say this on the count of three before we pass around the offering plate? One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you as you give. Uh, watch the cool video uh, as you give. So we'll show you some of the things we do around the world. You can also give online, by the way, to Metro Praise.
the time, but we're going to discuss about 30 seconds, so take your time, but get some good thoughts to discuss. Uh, egg, 
a, uh, an endangered species A, you're going to get fined. Because we think life is in that egg, you know? Go somewhere where American eagles are and start killing their egg and see what wildlife preservation will be. I, I fish sharks, by the way, you know? And so if you catch a dolphin, you know, if you catch a dolphin and you mess with that dolphin, then you get thrown into jail. Sometimes the dolphins will take the shark food, you know? And so we look at, the, you know, saving animal life. Uh, if you're in a car accident with a pregnant woman or you hurt a pregnant woman, you can get manslaughter for the fetus. That's what I think. I mean, this is not for you guys to discuss. It's, you know, you were asking me back, so that's what I think. But if you guys want to make a statement, go for it. Yes. Well, like, I think that what I personally believe and what I Children don't deserve to live. 
and then this lady that I was talking to being raped, excuse me, those Down syndrome illness rate, less than 5% of today's abortions. 95% of them are forms of uh, birth control. Most of them, like my friend was saying, in the inner city, people of minorities, Latinos twice as likely. I have a church for a lot of Latino young girls, so I'm helping them understand this as well, twice as likely. And then uh, as many of them are having abortions, if you were to ask them to check a, a census, are you Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, non-believer? Most of them check Christian. So it's, a, it's an issue that we have to address in the church. Uh, that has to do with family, you know, and uh, you know what we can do for better things. Did you want to say something? Yeah, well, uh, like you were saying earlier, about how people have you know, people abortion, how people have gotten rid of. Yeah. Like they done something. Yes, sir. I mean, how do we not know we have not gotten rid of prophets that have known something, too? How do we not know that we can stop new world leaders from yeah. living and actually take over places that the battles that we have right now? Amen. You know, I know, doesn't that blow your mind when you think about it? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. I've always felt that way about it, too. Yeah. It's like the whole thing, it comes down to, again, you know, yeah, it's a choice. But then again, who gave us, who made us realize about choice back in the Garden of Eden? Yeah. You know, it's a gift and a curse. That's exactly it. Go ahead, I'll let somebody follow, if you guys want to follow up as well, go ahead. And the guilt will stay for that person or for the rest of their physical life. Every time they look at a child, they'll probably pop possibility if they have a conscience. What, would you be a little princess or a little girl? Or a little guy? That thought will always be there, but that help. Or, to from city forever, that thought, if they have a conscience, every time you look at a child, they will tell me go. Anybody ever seen the movie Juno? Yeah. yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see how I feel about to see Juno? I think Juno says it best. The cute little Asian girl, she's like, your baby has feet. You know, and then Juno, finger, fingernails, yeah, and then Juno gets given like, I don't think being angry is the, uh, is the solution. I've definitely known to bring violence towards these people. You know, some people have thought, well, uh, uh, Timothy, they, I guess, was a lot of abuse that one of the reasons. But uh, my heart behind it is murder is never the option, so let's do everything else we can. Go ahead. Yeah. I guess my question then comes into, like, maybe we need to reframe the conversation about quality of life after birth because, like, I work with a lot of young people who have children, and um, like the quality of life of these kids, or like a lot of the people I work with have parents who are maybe 15 or 18 years older than them. Like, shouldn't our energy really be focused on the, on the children that are in this world, and like making sure that they're having like, quality life once they are born? Because like it's great to say that we want all life to live and prosper, but but let's like focus on the actual. Once they're here, like, what can we do as a church? Because I think so much of the conversation is focused on, like, whether or not abortion is right or wrong. And, like, I, I don't know where I stand on that. But what I do know is that there are a lot of people here already who aren't getting what they need. And so, like, the amount of money that we're pouring into, like, telling other people what to do with their bodies based on what we believe, should really focus on, like, supporting those people and Quality life, so they don't end up representing the 
we should both focus on the children coming into this life and those who are the products of, uh, of you know, a parent, you know, parents who have decision in their age. You know what I'm saying? We can do both, focus on both. Because ultimately, as, you know, like for example, I'm a leader of my church, it's my responsibility to, to help a person through the decision of, of being pregnant and, you know, they made that decision, they made a mistake, I have to help them through that, through that situation and not just for the child. Choice one day, so you're a bad choice from the day, or you're murdering someone. It's just a very interesting framework to operate within. Oh, like, you say, who do you say? A child is pregnant, they come to you and they say, What should I do? I say, well, it's like it's really like you present options, and like, abortion should be an option for you. For me? Yeah, I mean, would abortion should be an option for you to present to the, to the young girl? As, like if I was a leader in a church. Or anywhere, just in life, like whoever you are right now. By the way, I'm glad you girls pay. Thanks for engaging with what you're every week too. Okay? Yeah. So keep just keep yeah, just keep that flow for me for a moment. So somebody comes to you and they're just like, hey, I just got pregnant, I'm fifteen years old, I don't know what to do. What are your options at that point? Yeah. I mean, I guess I can't really comment on it without knowing like holistically yeah. where they're at. I mean, it's even like a problem with modern psychology, if you look at the individual, but if you say like for all
And now think about that person, that third generation, when they were our age. And they said, it's all about my family. It's all about my family. I'm sorry, but I don't even know your name. I forgot about you. And I'm a pretty good guy, but I don't even know you. You see, we think like it's so important, it's so important, it's so important. But after three generations, you're forgotten. And I know somebody would say, well, hey, if they died, you wouldn't be here. But that doesn't mean like, to me, they were a good person. They could have raped the way to get here. They could have killed their way. I don't even know their name. Are you all tracking with me right now? Now think about this. Let's now go a thousand years back. Okay, family trees, I don't know if we'll go back that far, right? Let's go back 2,000 years. Let's go back 3,000 years. We don't even know where we came from. Now watch this. If God does not go above our family as purpose, and all we have is family, which is so noble and so right. Remember, I love family. But if all we're tracking with in life is family, and there's not a God purpose, then our family really is no more meaningful than a family advance because in about 10,000 years we're all going to be forgotten. And even if we did Star Trek stuff and Stargate stuff, which I love, and it's got this really minute, small little sci-fi show called Firefly from Serenity. And we're going to check it. I'm just weird and nerd. Behind all of this, I love sci-fi. I love sci-fi, right? So even if we do all that, guess what they say? The great big bang is expanding. It will then have the great big death. It will come in on itself and implode. And then life will be forgotten. So it doesn't even matter if we do really cool things and extraterrestrial things. This universe cannot last forever. And in our world of multi-universes, it will be started over again. And having said all of that, how much value and meaning did we really have for 70 years anyway? So that's what I want to set up for you tonight. It's like, if we're not going to put it on God, if we're going to put it on the second best thing, which is my mind, the second best thing, family, does family really give us a whole lot of hope beyond the scope of our 70 years? I mean, have you ever thought about this? What if things were terrible in your family? What if you had a bad family? What if you were molested as a child? Yeah, I'm so sorry if that's somebody here. Because I've had to counsel that as a pastor. What if your mom was beat up by your dad or your, your mom you know, just did horrible things? Do you know that when I was working in the inner city of New Orleans, uh, we're talking about children. She didn't want her child. She took her child in a garbage bag and put it on train tracks. And she's serving life sentences, you know, right now. Could you imagine your mom? I mean, and then the other kids that she had having to know that my mom's in jail because she took my baby brother, put him on train tracks. And so my point is, when family sucks, and then that's all your purpose is, I guess you kind of suck then, right? Well, I'll make a better family. Well, what if you're not good at making a family? What if you can't have children? My point is, no matter which way you try to go with the family thing, it always will fall short, even if you're the best of the best of the best, which I hope mine were three generations ago. I'm sorry, but I've already forgot who they are. And so here's where I want to make a proposition to you today. Christianity. Now, when I talk about God, everybody's going to come up and be like, well, what about all the other religions, man? Let's have a bit of religion. I want a little Buddha. I want a little Krishna. I want a little Scientology. Not too much, but that's weird. And then several witnesses and stuff. I don't know who wants that. But I'll put a little Jesus on here. And then if you know, I hear this new thing behind, we'll put a little bit of that on there. And on the other hand, it's got this cool book. I'm going to read this book by this guru. And so here we got the buffet of religion. Is that what Christianity teaches, is that Jesus is just one of many. Now, if you were here from a, a previous series, Who is Jesus? We talked about Jesus either being the way, the truth, and the life, or a way among many. And I think we decided among, you know, here, 
by Jesus' teachings. He said, I'm either the way or no one. That's kind of his, his way of looking at it. But here's something that I want you to see that bases Christianity because as I start reading the Bible, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to get all passionate. I might sweat a little bit. I might spit and make it all the way back to the back row. Uh, as I do that, you get really excited. I want you to know why I'm doing this. Why I believe Christianity stands out among all the other God ideas. Okay? The first reason why I think the, the idea of Christianity is so awesome is the historical accuracy. When we talk about Christianity, it has some of like the coolest stories you will ever hear in your life, man. We can call it, like, let's go on this journey for a minute into the Bible, right? Snakes talk, uh, you know, uh, uh, men go into lion's dens and they still stay alive. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro, I mean, a bad Negro go into the, uh, the the fiery furnace. Come on, bud. Thank you, man. Thank you, bud. Thank you, bud. Now you laughs up there. Okay. thrown out of here. I preached in an all-African-American congregation for seven years, by the way. I'm going to leave this again. As you can see, I'm a very kind of black man. I'm an African-American. And now you all changed me. So now I'm changing to like a Latino, African-American nerd. You hear me all the time. I'm just a gringo living in Latino. Okay, but anyways, okay, having confused you with my weirdness, just think about the Bible. Just, just think about the Bible for a minute, dude. Uh, Jesus walks all water. Noah's Ark, two by two, going to this big ship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel in the lion's den. All these stories. Guess what? They're true. Can I tell you that actually in archaeology, the more we dig, the more we find, we keep backing these claims up. Let me give you an example. Walls of Jericho, okay? This is a big deal. Seven times around the Jericho, Joshua says he's going to blow the trumpet, the walls are going to fall down. We have found Jericho's walls. Jericho's walls didn't fall forward because of erosion or just simply crumbled down. They have been swallowed up into the earth, and people believe this is because of an earthquake. This is uh, an evidence to us that these walls are part of what we see in the Bible. You know, the Bible mentions a group of people, I don't have it here, but the Bible mentions a group of people called the Hittites. Now, in the 1800s, these Hittites were such a problem for Christians because as everybody was going out there discovering the people groups, you know, doing their, their, their work out there in sociology and understanding these people groups, they could not find the Hittites. And this became a, a point of mocking the Christian. Your Bible, your book, is the only one that talks about these Hittites. And they're not a branch of another group of people. They're their own people who say that they're occupying lands and they're doing all these great big things. And you know, the Bible is the only one that said it. And eventually, sometime in the 1900s, early 1900s, we found artifacts of the Hittites. And guess what? The very thing they mocked us of is the very thing now that we're proud of. Our Bible actually records the history of the Hittites and the people there did it. I could go on, and some of you may not believe me, so let's talk afterwards. I want to help you believe. I've got some evidence for you to take a look at. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, anybody can find a couple of things to, to do that with. Well, let's, let's look at the ones that have tried. Uh, Book of Mormon. Okay, Book of Mormon said that the Jewish people came here uh, about 3,000 years ago on a ship. They brought spears, uh, things of metal. They had horses, and they lived here for 1,000 years, and then they were killed off by the American Indians, and some of them interbred, and the American Indian shares the same ancestry with the Jewish people. That's the Book of Mormon. Those guys wearing the white shirts wearing the back. Okay. You know that the Smithsonian Institute has not found anything to corroborate this. There is no evidence. Are you guys tracking with me? 
How about this? Bhagavad Gita, I have it, I own it. It's the story of Arjuna and Krishna. They hang out, they're on a battlefield, they're in a chariot, all these things. The blue man, that's that's the first original blue man is Krishna, okay? He comes down with his arms, he's doing the jig, he's, just, he's awesome, and we love Krishna. Guess what? We don't know where the chariots, we don't know where any of this is at. And I've been to India three different times, and I talk to people, I'm like, do you really believe the story of Ganesh? He gets his head cut off, he gets part elephant, part of No, but see, now they understand this, no, this is symbolic, this is symbolic. But guess who is still claiming all of these enormous miracles and tracking with it through history? The Bible. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is more attested than Caesar crossing the Kubrick and him having great battles. That means the, the history of Rome recorded by Pliny and uh, these different historians. I have their writings. Their, their writings are less attested than the death of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey only has about 40 copies. 40 copies of these ancient copies of copies of copies. Do you know how many of the Bible we have? 5,000. Something to think about. Next thing, fulfilled prophecy. Now I want you to understand, when the Bible's talking about prophecy, these aren't just painting targets and saying, oh, look, we can hit these all day. Like me going, like, tomorrow, the sun is going to come up. And then when the sun comes up, see, fulfilled prophecy, I made it easy. No, we're talking about prophecy in the Bible that will astonish you. Some of them have never uh, been accomplished, never duplicated outside of biblical times. Let me give you the biggest one that I love the most. Uh, I'm going to skip over the Babylonian captivity. We'll need to share this. The nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was brought into Babylonian captivity, which I could talk a little bit more about this, about Daniel and all these cool things. Daniel, God, and Ezekiel, we don't have time to do that. But uh, they get taken into captivity around uh, 500 BC, first by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians. Babylonians are conquered by the Persians. Persians are conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks are conquered by the Romans. Okay, they're occupied people. Do you know that during that time, 500 BC, these guys are making predictions. Israel will be a nation. Israel will become a sovereign nation again. They are the only people group to have lost their nation 500 BC and not have it for over 2,000 years and then in 1948 to receive back their nation. Do you know how many people groups have wanted to do that but have failed? And I can keep you here all day by naming their names. Let's start with the Babylonians. Let's go on and begin to talk about the Persians and all of these different things. They have lost their name and their identity. They were defeated. They were ingrained and grafted into other nations. But Israel remained a nation without its own country, being oppressed, shipped out all over the world, about to be exterminated. Why did Hitler choose the Jews out of all the people? That's another fulfilled prophecy, by the way. And here you see the Jewish nation. How about another prophecy? I can show you in the Bible, book of Revelation, that it says when the Antichrist comes, that people are going to see two witnesses approach the Antichrist, preach, stop the rain, awesome miracles are going to happen, and then the Antichrist is going to kill these two people, and they're going to be martyred, right? That's not good. Do you know what the Bible says? That every eye, every ear, every person in the nation not only hears the story passed out, but actually sees their dead bodies laying in the street. And then it says that day, they go out and give gifts to each other. Do you know that the Olympic Games, with Hitler there in Germany, the first Olympic Games that were broadcast around the world, that was the first time you were introduced to the satellite TV. And now today, you can see something like we saw in Egypt and the Arab Spring and all the Arab uprising out there. You can see revolutions in Omar Gaddafi's body right now, and everybody can see it. That's the Bible being fulfilled right in front of you. And I can keep you here all day. You know, the Bible said that there would be a time that you could not buy or sell without this Antichrist mark. You know, 666, we've seen the movies, we think it's a movie. 
compete. But track this with me. 2,000 years ago, it, you know, you're telling somebody you can't buy or sell without a mark. I mean, come on, I'll just go down to Joe the farmer, I'll pick a piece of corn, and I'll eat. I need to stop eating from anything. And, you know, and then what's a mark in, in, in you know, the first century AD? What is a mark? A mark's a tattoo. And what did they say it was going to be placed? On the forehead and on the forearm. Do you know that now identity chips have been created that can have everything about your information put on these identity chips? And where would they want to put it? Where the least amount of skin is so that they can x-ray, so they can see it the easiest. And where is the least amount of skin that you can be presentable before scans? Either on your forehead or right here on your forearm. Right here on the back side of your head. These things were predicted by people who would have never have known how to explain these things other than for fulfilled prophecy, and we can go on, but let's just continue here. Uh, number three, the work and the life of Jesus. Now, last series, we talked about this. Some of the greatest arguments against Jesus, the Bible, Bart Ehrman, people like Richard Dawkins, the greatest, greatest, greatest arguments that are coming against the Bible right now still cannot take down the weight of evidence that we have for Jesus. Jesus is still the most attested man of history. His death is the most attested death of all history. And the miracle is the most attested miracle by those who study it and the most contested miracle by those who disbelieve it. Meaning, there's an argument among the people what happened to the body because it's attested he was killed, it was attested he was buried, but yet we can't find the body. And those like Lee Strobel, John MacArthur, some very other well-known scholars who have studied but converted have done so by studying the evidence. And those who say they still don't believe the evidence are having debates continually going head to head with no uh, way to defeat the evidence that has converted the evidence. Now you might say, Pastor, this is all just stacked up in your favor. Well, if you believe in another religion or a different way, let's talk after, uh, uh, you know, after the service today. I have no problem. I wrote a book on Islam, have it for free online, and I'm trying to study as much as I can. But this is why I want to read this Bible verse to you today. Because I believe Christianity answers our call to what our purpose is. It's found in God, and more specifically, it's found in Jesus. Are you all ready? Say, I'm ready. Ready. Okay, here we go. Let's read what David had to say. Hopefully you guys will appreciate the Bible a little bit more right now. I'm going to read in a modern translation. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I am an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I come back. I'm never out of your sight. Come on, come on, just think about this. I'm never out of God's sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me, you're there. I look up ahead, and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on the wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute, you'd already be there waiting. Wasn't that awesome? I just got to say that's awesome. Amen. That's awesome. Then I said to myself, here's David talking. Oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't even dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh, yes, you shaped me first, inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. Does that answer the question here for us from the Bible tonight? You formed me through my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking. Body and soul are marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. 
You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were set up before me, the day before you, the days of my life, all prepared before I even lived one day. Let that settle in. God knows everything that even is going to happen. Verses 17 through 20. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and live always with you. And I want you to see this last part where I'm going to highlight this. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I ever lived one day. And I just wish I could get into this really deep right now about God giving us choice in the midst of this. But let me just give you the best explanation I can to this. God did not create robots. Robots, we're here with free will. But God has this thing called foreknowledge. And foreknowledge knows what free will agents will do on their own self. And the way we can liken this to is like a chess game. And chess games have more playable options than there are known molecules in the known universe, okay? This is a huge mathematical equation of the options that a chess game can turn into. This is why smart people like it. People who are not so smart like me play video games like Halo, okay? Uh, anyways, so when the chess player goes to play the game and makes the first move, he is now thinking, what is the guy going to do next? What will I do next? How will this can exponentially grow to different possible rooms? God's mind is so brilliant. He's the great mind. He's the ultimate mind. God knows what free will agents are going to do down here. And he sees it from start to finish. And he knows those who choose him and those who reject him. And he has it all worked out for his glory. And those who choose him receive glory with him, are receiving eternal life. Now somebody may say, well, what about those who make the bad choices? He's created free will agents to suffer eternity in hell who have rejected him. Because I do believe in eternal life. Some people say, how is that not fair? Well, there's three reasons I want you to consider before I go on to this, because I know this bothers some people. I just really want you to hear this, because I trust God and Him going the whole day. The first thing is, the Bible talks about God created Adam and Eve and gave them a choice. He knew at this point Adam and Eve would sin and mess the whole thing up. Jesus was already the solution to the problem before they were ever created, and God still allowed it to happen. So my first point is this. Jesus' life was going to be crucified for the sake of you and I have no choice. So it wasn't a little deal to God. It's a big deal. Jesus, the Lamb, slain before the foundation of the world, as the Bible says. Do you understand this? That means when God created Adam and Eve, and he knew the prosperity of generations that would come after them, he knew if I create them, I create free will, how this will end up is my son will be crucified on the cross. So number one, Heaven and hell are not little deals. They're big deals to God, okay? Because a lot of times people like to throw hell back into Christian's face. and go, hey, hey, where'd you get this idea of hell from? Well, I got it from your Bible. I got it from your Bible. Well, did you also see there's this thing called forgiveness in our Bible, and there's this other thing called redemption in our Bible, and there's this other thing called the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to throw hell at me and get all upset with me from that same Bible, you've also got to throw some grace, mercy, and love, because that's the end of the story from this Bible, okay? Amen. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing is, is that we ultimately are making decisions in this world. We ultimately are. And a lot of times people say, well, I make decisions based on my social economic status and how I was born, the color of my skin, where I live, what country, and time and age, and all this. But the bottom line is, somewhere in there, you're still making a decision. 
there's something that makes you you on the inside today. And it's not just because you're American. You express it through English words. And yes, you wear the color of clothes and the things that are popular. But you still express it yourself. It's you expressing yourself. And we make bad decisions. We tell lies. We take things that don't belong to us. We put things before God. We covet what our neighbor has. You get what I'm saying? And then number three is the Bible says that God gets glory out of all of this. Now, you and I, we have a problem with this. This is what God says. He says, I'm in heaven. I do what pleases me. Okay? This is where it ends right now. The discussion. We believe in God's Bible. We don't believe in another God. You want to mix God in the Bible with other people and make you feel more comfortable. That's all up to you what you do at this point. But I'm a kind of like a purist. When I walk to Lord of the Rings, like I'm into Gandalf. I'm into Saruman. I'm into like Frodo and Samwise Gamgee. So I don't want to mess up the story. I just take it as it is. Like it or not like it. And if you look at the Bible, that's just, it's what it is. God gets glory on the people choosing it. We did it through Jesus. He allows us to make the choice. He gets glory out of it. Can somebody say, I have purpose. I have purpose. Amen. And now I want to give you that purpose according to the Bible. It's so simple. Jesus said it right here, to know God and to love Him. The greatest purpose you and I can ever have in this life is to know God and to love Him. Look at Mark 12, uh, 38 through, um, 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked Jesus, of all the commandments, what is the most important? The most important answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, he is one. Love the Lord your God. Everybody say, love God. Love God. Thank you with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So I want you to think with me that what I think, uh, what I see in the Bible, and tell me what you guys believe, because this is how I see it. If I was to sum up how I'm going to love God according to the Bible, well, the first thing, John 3, 3, we've got to be born again. Because remember this thing called sin, and we've got some issues. We need a second chance. Anybody want to start over again, another chance to be born again? Yes. Amen? Right. I mean, like, come on, let's hit reset. And if you don't think you need to hit reset, we'll talk to you after service and help you understand uh, why you need this. The Bible says you can't speak to God without being born again. So first, I repent of my sins, believe in Christ, start a spiritual life with Him. More importantly, the job that I have, more importantly, money, even in my family. Matter of fact, from my perspective, God gives me my family, God gives me my job, right? Comes from Him. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're actually esoteric people here. That means we're the praise ones who raise our hands, uh, believe in prophecy, speaking in tongues, healing the sick, raising the dead. We've actually seen exorcisms. We do it all right here. Yeah, it seems cool to call them right now. Until somebody has a demon, I mean, it just will go down. And you're like, I don't believe it. I actually put up these videos on YouTube of me doing it in India. That's how crazy I am. Because I want people to see this most supernatural things are, are really true. And we believe that here. So we believe that God wants you to figure this out and be a part of it. It's a little weird to you, it's okay, but just we just like help you understand this. Acts chapter 2, which is related to the Acts chapter 2. I just tell you, there's probably one time when you came into my church. She said, you're just brainwashing people that speaking in tongues and praying for people. Brainwashing. She's, and I said, ma'am, okay, I understand. You don't believe in God. You just love God. No, I believe in God. And I go to church every week. Oh, this stuff is crazy. I said, speaking in tongues and praying for the sake of right? Yeah, it's not in my Bible. And I said, ma'am, can I show you? Where's your Bible? Let me show you Acts chapter 2 and then Acts onward. It continues. Peter spoke in tongues. James, the spiritual gifts, it's awesome. Don't be afraid of it. Amen. The Holy Ghost is your friend. Amen. Okay. Number three, be transformed daily in the image of Christ. Live out Christianity. What this means is, I come into this world as a sinner. Christ regenerates me on the inside, and every day I'm being transformed into his likeness. 
I don't just make the excuse over and over again. I'm a sinner. I can sin. I'm a sinner. I can sin. I know we were born sinners, but we should be being transformed. I shouldn't, like, I, you know, imagine me walking up to my wife. I shouldn't walk up to my wife and go, honey, I love you. It's awesome. It's good. But you know this, like, uh, marital thing, me and you? I'm struggling with that right now, so here's my girlfriend. Barbara, okay? <laughs> so right now, me and Barbara, we got some stuff going on. Here's the good thing. I'm asking for forgiveness, okay? Forgive me. <laughs> so I'm going to be with her, then I'll be with you, then I'll ask you to forgive me. And we're just going to keep doing this for the rest of our life. So this is how it's going to work. I'm going to be with her, then I'm going to feel bad, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. If you forgive me, then we're going back and be with her. See, is that how God intended us to live life? No. Like, okay, God, I get it. You're going to forgive me. So I get to sense my So what now? Yeah! Okay, I get to go to the Belmont and Clark, sell my body for $5 hits of, of crystal meth and homosexual love affairs like the pastor that did and got caught for doing all that stuff. Why? Because at the end of the day, he just gets forgiven. Mm. Isn't that crazy? You think people act bad. Look how pastors start to act. How crazy he got. You know what I'm saying? Is, is that the Christian life? No, Christian life is being transformed. The Greek word transformed is the word metamorphosis. It's where we get the same understanding of a caterpillar going into a butterfly. That metamorphosis, that process of going from that little sluggish thing to this beautiful butterfly. Can you just look at your neighbor and say, you're a beautiful butterfly. Pascal colors and fluorescent greens and yellows. You are that Okay, number four. Be committed to fruitful service in the body of Christ. So that means like if we're Christians and like we love Jesus now, we should be around each other. So this is what I think loving God looks like. You don't know, track right? I think it's pretty simple. We have a relationship with God. We get filled with the boom shakalaka power of God. We get changed to live like Jesus. We get a part of a great body community of people. We just become radicals for God. And then what do we do? We obey His commands. And sometimes people say, I'm doing really good at paying His commands, man. I haven't killed anybody today. Well, that's so cool. Like, I'm glad you're not a murderer. And I'm like, sure, when we get to heaven, they're going to be like, guess who we got here, angel? We got somebody who never killed anybody. Oh, really, Jesus? We got one of them? Come on down! I didn't kill anybody. There is no reward ceremony in heaven for those who didn't kill anybody and rape children. That's the normal stuff. There's actually commands that go beyond that. There's people like, no, I'm pretty good. I'm a priest. I'm a church. I'm a Christian. I'm a priest. I don't kill anybody. Like, there's more commands than that. There's like commands to pray, to help your neighbor, to give your offerings, to give to the poor, to, to help change the world, to make disciples, to, to raise your family a certain way, husbands to be a certain way, wives to be a certain way, children to be a certain way. Everybody go, amen. 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 That's how we live for God. I hope that you guys got that. And let's go about how do we love people because if we're going to do God's word, we've got to love God and we've got to love people. That's why we're here. Numbers, uh, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And what's the second thing? Love your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. I love you so very, very much. I love you so very, very much. Come on. And look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. Not so much. Not so much. Not so much. I don't know why I get a kick out of that. You guys get a kick out of that. That's why I keep doing this. Everybody's getting tired of being that neighbor. It was funny because one time we did that in church and then the wife had to turn away from her husband. She's like, oh, I ain't saying that to you, Joe. I love him more. You know? So I thought you were in trouble here. Okay? Just have fun with us. Here's his four ways. I'm just going to go through it quickly because I know we spent a lot of time on things from that. Four ways to love people. From the Bible, once again, love and provide for your family. This isn't that awesome. 
Like, that is an important, like, like, you know what the Bible actually says? Uh, it speaks pretty harshly about this. The Bible says, man, you don't take care of your family, you're worse than the worst sinner, worse than an infidel. The Bible actually used to bring infidel before Muslims did 700 years later. The Bible says, man, you don't take care of your family, you're worse than the pagan, the worst sinner. However you define Hitler's stuff, you don't take care of your family, you're worse than that. Your mother's the same thing. You don't take care of your family, you're worse than the worst sinner. So God actually puts family right up at the top. Lay down your life for them. I, I lay down my life for my wife. Man. Anything I can do for her. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to never stay close. Right She's working on that. Man, She's not there telling me. She's like, oh no, you're like 25%, mister. You know? And then like pregnant, like when she gets pregnant, like all of a sudden that number just starts decreasing. <laughs> <laughs> Before she was pregnant, I was like up in the 70s. Like right now, I'm at that 15. <laughs> uh, no, it's good. I love to provide for your family. I mean, the Bible talks about parents raising up your children and the things of God. And uh, kids love your parents and honor them and respect them. You know, this is actually the 10th commandment of baby parents. Uh, number two, love and serve the body of Christ. You know, it's, it's not a, a, a slip of the pin. Why the Bible says brothers and sisters in the Bible? Because we're the family of God. We're, we're his bride. And we're his children. And so, like, right after our family, this should be a part of our family. I don't put this before my family at home, but you guys are very, very important to me. And I hope that you guys are building those same kind of relationships here. And let me just say it like this. Sometimes our siblings don't get saved. Sometimes our moms don't get saved. And you know what Jesus said? Who's my mother, brother, and sister? He said, my mother, brother, and sister. And those who do the will of God. My sister died drinking and driving about 10 years ago. That's my first funeral I ever did. My brother and sister, I'm the one who's still doing drugs and alcohol to this day. And my sister lived in a marriage, uh, a relationship she wasn't married to, an abusive husband, a boyfriend, and, and uh, you know, just abused her. I felt so bad for her, I tried to help her, and she still doesn't want to give her life over and to God. My brother was an abuser. He's gotten older now, and he lives a life as an alcoholic. But you know who's become my brothers? You know who's become my sisters? Closer than even my own family, and those of you here. Those I spend life with, because that's so important to me. I still pray for them and pray for my family as well. Uh, number three, love and preach to the lost. Because, you know, if we love people, we should be preaching to them. There was one time a guest that came, and I don't want to embarrass him if he ever comes back to you guys. He was talking about you, but I just want to say this so you guys can understand me. Because one time at the end of the service, you know, because we're in Wicker Park, okay? I know it's going to be tough here. So at the end of the service, he's like, you're talking about hell. And, you know, homosexuality and all this. So it must feel good to be a white, heterosexual, Christian male living in America because you get everything you want. And I'm saying to you, you have no idea what you're talking about. First of all, not all like you think I am. And then the second thing is, you don't come to our prayer meetings because when we hit our knees in our prayer meetings and you're not here with us and it's time just to pray, we cry for people that don't know Christ. We are broken. It is a big deal to us. Heaven and hell. You can say what you want about it. You can say we're crazy. You don't think. Let me tell you something. You met some real sincere people here today that give up everything they have to travel to the mission fields, that give up everything they have to go across the street and hand out water. And so at the end of the day, you may not like what we believe, but you can at least say this. Those people, they actually believe it. They actually believe that there's going to be somebody going to help you because, man, they won't stop calling you. They won't stop praying for you. I could keep I could keep hearing stories right now of people that hated God, hated what we stood for, thought we were crazy, but something kept drawing them back, or things that they would see in their dreams, or family members start speaking to them, and now they're part of the church and they're serving the Lord because they realize that this wasn't just a man's opinion. They have to go home and read all this themselves. So if you love Jesus, you love people, you want to help them get to heaven. Uh, the last thing is we're going to love and serve the world through our talents. 
Uh, you know, we learned, we learned about Steve Jobs at the beginning, all the talents that he had. Yeah, he did some cool things, philanthropy, he cared about people, Bill Gates, the foundation they have, that's cool. But man, if you know that this guy who owns Hobby Lobby, Al Green, giving away over a hundred million dollars to help me, poor people around the world, for helping Christians, world services. You know that guy, Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, has given away tens and tens of millions of dollars. He actually worked with the Bill Gates Foundation providing care in Africa. You know what his system was? He said, all oh, you guys are trying to get the shots out for medication. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull all the churches together to be those sources. And that's how Rick Warren has helped change the world. Do you know that Christian charities, think about it. If you were homeless tonight, what would be the first charity you were thinking of? Christian charities. What are most of the organizations funded by? Uh, Christian organizations. What are most of the programs reaching out? I went down to Katrina, and I have friends that are still involved in Haiti. Both of them, the majority, everything, outnumbering even sometimes the Red Cross. Christian people. I have friends that went to the tsunami victims of Indonesia, friends that went to Japan to help out there with the earthquake. Are you all tracking with me right now? If we really get serious about this, we can change the world. An old uh, church father, he said like this, preach the gospel on any cost. And at last, if it doesn't work, use your words. So the idea is, is that we should preach with our lives first. And if any people wonder what's going on, she said, Jesus loves you. Will you all stand up with me, please? Let's close yes. out today. And yes. uh, pray. Vanessa, would you come to the guitar and uh, help us focus on Jesus right now with some music? And, excuse me, we want to pray. And I just want to just say thank you for coming out every week. It's not easy. You know, being a part of something that's new. You guys started to get to know just how crazy I am to get you so come back. I appreciate you. My wife helped you do that because I'm going to set you up. Let me tell you more importantly, you and I, our friends here, is how is it going to be doing with God? Because I think that's the problem. We need to be reminded that it's so awful. It goes like family, job, money, school, friends, and all that so fast, and we're all caught up in this rat race where we forget the most simplest thing, the meaning of life is love. It's love. The meaning of life is love. It's love. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. It's us loving God because He first loved us and us loving our neighbor. That's what it comes down to. And love sometimes isn't mushy gushy Sometimes love is working through some issues. Sometimes love is working through issues. I love my wife. You know, we always agree. You may not be eye to eye with God right now, but do you love him? Can you start right there? You know, the Bible says love him with all your mind. You know, there's a place in there where mind comes up. You know where a lot of times we get biggest temptations and things come up. You know, have you ever put something before God? You didn't mean to. I mean, it's not like you set out to watch the baseball game and forget about church. Well, let's just say you just did that on a Sunday or whatever. You were going to pray, but you didn't. And you put something before God. Do you ever, have you ever been there and you, like, realized how empty that felt? Well, what do you do? I know what I do. I come back and go, God, I'm sorry. That's working it out. You know, sometimes people think that we as Christians, oh, you got all the answers, man. You got all, you're just Mr. Know-it-all. You don't hang out with me. I probably have more questions than you do about God. Because it's like the circle of knowledge that Einstein drew. The bigger the knowledge you know, the circumference of your circle gets bigger, the more you realize you don't know on the outside of that circle. 
So you say, I know this much about God right now, and I bet that when I get to know more, I won't have all these questions. And so you get to know God this much, but now you have this much questions. Well, you know what I don't question, and I'm starting to trust Him now? It's that He loves me. And then if I let Him, He'll make me love for you, for the neighbors, and for people in this world. And so can we focus on that tonight before we go? We're going to dismiss in 30 seconds. Can we just close our eyes and just focus on that? Just pray. Prayer is just talking to God. I'm going to start and just pray my own prayer out loud. And then if you want to pray, you can pray out loud. You can pray silently. But we're just going to ask you to talk to Him. Father, I thank you today for bringing us together. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't always understand the way you do things. But, Lord, today we can understand. God, I believe you love us, and I know you love us more than we'll ever know. So, Lord, I want to love you back today. You could have asked me to do 101 things to prove it. You could have said, swim the ocean, write a book, climb a mountain. But you just said, this is the greatest thing, love you back. Lord, I need your help to do that today, because I, I sometimes don't have it all together. God, I want to help you. I'm just going to let you guys pray as I pray silently right now just for a few moments. Just talk to him. He wants to talk to you. our neighbor. Would you just pray and just ask God that we would love neighbors like the way he would love them? I'll start off the prayer with you guys. Would you just pray on your own? God, it is so hard for me to love people in traffic, people who do things that annoy me. God, people who disagree with me. God, people who, who hurt others. God, God, my enemies. It is so hard, God, to love them like you said on the cross, Father, forgive them, even the ones crucifying you. Lord, that love is so far beyond where I am right now. Would you help me to have so much love for my neighbors that I can even love those who hate me, don't like me, make fun of me, annoy me. God, I just want to be like you. Forgive me, God, when I'm not. Forgive me, God, when I look like a hypocrite. But when I don't look like you, because I really just want to look like you, Jesus. Now, as I pray silently, would you just take this time to pray about you and your love for neighbors? Giving it back now that God gave it to you, we're going to give it back.
pray and dismiss, and then uh, we'll hang out tonight. Father, I thank you, Lord. Altar workers, would you come? Because I'm going to have some prayer workers up here, too. If you want to have some special prayer needs, like those miracles that we were talking about, man, they are up here to do that or just to, to give you counsel or advice, you know? Lord, I ask 